0: Jasmine Ellis. Welcome to another episode of Rhythm and Bay. If that is too soon, I'll fucking, I'll jump off a bridge. Am I good?
1: <laughs> Am I good? It, I, it came in, it, it came in for me at Jasmine Ellis. Jasmine, we're good. We can, I can edit that out. I'm sorry. We don't even have to no, do it again. keep all of this in. Yeah, I need be people it. to
0: see the blood and tears. Sweat. Hey everybody. It's Jasmine. If you're wondering what the hell you just heard, well, it's another episode of Rhythm and Bay Podcast. You know that podcast you follow on Twitter that has the handle Bay Rhythm, and because the host is is that dyslexic, it's me, and I'm messing stuff up. Welcome to another episode. Uh, I'm super excited. <laughs> I am super excited because I love this show, and I absolutely love the comic that I have on today. This person uh, is just kind of just. Just the coolest guy in Austin, honestly, just the absolute coolest. I'm so excited to have you here. Say hello, Chris.
1: Hello, it's me, uh, then Elon Musk, and then I'm the ranking the coolest people in Austin. And then- Oh, go ahead, do it. Uh, There's a, so it goes me and then Elon Musk, and then whenever his girlfriend's here, I think she comes in between the two of us, but yeah, the rankings are fluid.
0: Wait, okay. So Grimes, and then where would you rank their child, Yakson Twelve?
1: Oh, yeah. You... Uh, uh, so they that child's gonna need a little time to develop a personality before it can hit the rankings. As we're basing it strictly on the name, not on the list. That name is uh, <laughs> that's something that happens when you drop a, a your phone on your keyboard. That's not an actual name.
0: <laughs> I have this theory that like he was lab created. Man, the name is just like what the computer auto named the egg mm-hmm. sperm sample. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. When you when you sign into a new app and it's like, do you want us to auto suggest a username or whatever? That's it. That's what's left. With yeah, absolutely.
0: Like he has the he has the one name that like could be a password and your computer would be like that's secure.
1: This is secure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's strong. That's in the green for sure
0: that's in the green oh my gosh so today i am just you know it's awesome to catch up with you um how mm-hmm. how have things been i feel like it's such a strange thing because like beginning of the pandemic you i did your podcast which is super fun if you guys mm-hmm. haven't listened to it it is a what, what's it called a dear, dear abby or bad
1: what's it advice bad advice with chris cubis uh we answer advice column letters it's super fun we're not smart so the advice isn't great but it's a fun podcast so you should give it a listen
0: it is such a good listen it's one of my favorites to listen to when i'm on a plane and i just love the uh the, the general consensus is usually um these questions are stupid and you people need therapy um, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. for sure. the last time we did that Communication it was like really- and therapy is basically what's gonna help you
0: but the last time I talked to you was on that, and it was like kind of mm. early in the pandemic. And now it's such a strange time because like stuff is getting scary again, but then stuff is not because, closing at this. Because we're How early are in the
1: pandemic. We're early in pandemic too. Absolutely, yeah. It's sketchy here, uh, Texas. Every time I see good news like about oh, states are going to start doing like New York today is announced that they are going to require vaccinations for like restaurants and bars and venues and stuff. Awesome, but every time I see good news like that, I'm reminded that I live in Texas, and we will never get good news like that because our governor literally was like, uh, "It is illegal to require masks." Like our uh, Abbott just lost, like is just full on anti-vaxxer, even though he is clearly vaccinated. So, like, yeah, it's fucking sketchy down here.
0: Yes. It is. I am. Um, last weekend, I was in town. I was in Dallas to throw a bachelorette mm-hmm. party for some of my friends. And one of my friends, I love her to death. She is the most anxious person in the entire world. And she has like this, this full on like martyr complex that she's, I mean, I get it. You know what I mean? But it's to the point where mm-hmm. it's like, like life is not really livable for her. And so I tried my best to stay on top of everything. And then like, I tried to like find outdoor dining for this and outdoor dining for that, but the restaurants aren't requiring masks anymore. Mm -hmm. And it was just like trying to plan everything was just so, I mean, I still, I think I came up with a pretty decent plan, which was private karaoke. So it was just us Mm -hmm. in a private room with sanitizer, And I even brought my own little microphone condoms. And I mean, I mean, it's crazy we did everything we could but the poor thing the next morning she was just like i don't know if we should have done this and i didn't mean to, but inside i almost laughed because she had like the cadence of like someone after they've had unprotected sex she was like i just <laughs> how do we know we're gonna be okay <laughs> like,
1: we don't I, know I, all right I, I might lean a little more towards her honestly like i here's what's up i i am been vaccinated you know got the double shots like as soon as they were available to the general public here. So I've been back double-vaxxed for quite some time at this point. But like if I fuck and, you know, breakthrough cases are mild for them are, are rare. And the symptoms are kind of mild for the most part. But like for the most part, if my fat ass ends up being a, uh, for the less part and I ends up getting mad sick, even though I did everything right. I might be a mass shooter. I might start taking some like a mass coffer. I might just be out there purposely spreading <laughs> COVID. If I ended up getting sick and dying, I'll be I'll be too mad. I'm so
0: tired of being in the stress, and I don't even know what's that. I was when I was flying back, somebody sneezed out loud three times, and the third mm-hmm. time I said, "Lord Jesus," and it was like, <laughs> and I knew everybody heard, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I was like. And I, I could feel mm-hmm. people looking at me and I just said a prayer out loud. I was like, please, yeah, God, continue be- to guide us and protect our health in Jesus
1: name. <laughs> like, and then I'm in uh, I'll be, We were in Costco yesterday and I'm counting. I'm trying to see, okay, you got a mask. You don't have a mask, but are you not wearing a mask because... You're an anti masker and you're not vaccinated or are you not wearing a mask because the CDC said you don't really need one if you've been vaccinated and I'm basing that on your shirt. You know what I'm saying? Like, what's that logo? Is that a is that a Punisher mask with a American flag behind it? I'm I'm 20 feet. I gotta be two aisles from you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, my God, The they wear the the gear is the worst at the airport because like mm. it's been the rule that you have to wear a mask on planes. And so at this uh, point, the people who aren't coming there to like fight and punch,
1: like, did you know yeah, flight yeah, yeah. attendants
0: are having to take self defense classes? <laughs>
1: I just saw something while I was waiting for you uh, on Frontier. It was either Frontier or Spirit. Some dude Mm -hmm. got drunk, punched his flight attendant. They duct taped him to a chair. And then the the flight attendants got fucking suspended. That dude got arrested too. But like, that's what, no. Like, look, we're in the sky. There's no cops. Uh, he 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 grabs. Well, one titties. titty and then it goes straight to duct tape. You don't get to do a titty and then get a, a, a warning and a talking to and then grab a second titty. It's once you grab one titty, it's straight to the duct tape.
0: Two titties and a face punch. They let they literally mm-hmm. gave him a three-strikes your duct tape policy. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: and,
0: like, <laughs> although Wild. this is the second incident of duct taping I've been hearing, and it's kind of funny mm. because. I can't think of a reason to have duct tape on a plane other than that. Oh, you, ain't, like... you ain't been
1: on Spirit. They hold them planes. Spirit and Frontier are mostly held together by duct tape. Duct tape and prayers is what keeps those planes in the air, Jasmine. God, God. Yeah. Spirit is.
0: I used to think everyone was exaggerating about how bad Spirit is, and then one time mm. through an unfortunate series of events, I booked Spirit, and I was like, "Let me upgrade to first class because I'm better than this, right?" So I flew they, first they class won't... on Spirit
1: what you get two diet cokes what is even first class you get on first and you get two chips
0: first class on spirit is really funny i mean one you do get a slightly bigger seat but there's still three seats in the row so that's small for first class and second they offer you drinks which is nice but i remember they i asked them for a water with lemon and they Mm -hmm. said okay and then they came out with the card reader and i was like for what and they're like for the lemon and it was two (laughs) dollars for (laughs)
1: Wow. Chris, it
0: gets more ghetto. It gets more ghetto. I have this saved somewhere. I have this saved. I swear to God. So mm-hmm. the lemon in question here was mm-hmm. a little packet labeled
1: truly lemon. And
0: it was <sighs> lemon
1: flavored powder. <laughs> it had to be. I was going to say, it's, for, it's crystal light for sure. That's some like yeah. Fat Joe shit. You ever see Fat Joe? He used to be in You used to watch him in interviews when he was starting to lose weight and he'd just be dumping fucking uh, like crystal light powder into like booze like it was just wild so yeah i'm not shocked at all that that spirit brought out the fucking the me what is that mio squirt for your lemon yes and
0: it was the tiniest i was like too, wow
1: wow it was no, that it is was the, such only, a... the, the only diva-esque thing I've, I've ever done was been like getting booked somewhere where they were flying me and i was like no spirit no spirit <laughs> no frontier you got to put i need a seat I, I need a plane where like my seat goes back like, and I need yeah. to not be looked like a, like a lunatic for asking about that. Like, uh, yeah, you got to put me in a real plane.
0: Yes, and it's the only airline where, like, you know how sometimes they do that little sales pitch to try and get people to sign up for credit cards? Mm-hmm. They, <laughs> this is a short flight, but they yeah. did at least a 15 minute presentation. Like every flight attendant was in, a, it was so prepared. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> and they were like, yeah, man, yeah, yeah. how did you get that wonderful seat today? Did you sign? And I was like, no, I just paid extra. And they're like, wouldn't yeah. you rather have become a, a Spirit Airlines member? No, I won't do this. And I was the worst person to call <laughs> on. Never do I was this like,
1: again. Yeah. I'm not doing this
0: again. <laughs> Y'all charge me for living.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I would much rather pay the $30 for this upgrade than get into like 20% credit card debt with whatever <laughs> bank is backing the front. I'm assuming it's Russell Simmons uh, prepaid Visa card or whatever that's backing them cards.
0: Oh my god. If they had I've never if next time yeah, I buy Spirit like, Flight, if there's an option for rush card, I'm gonna mm-hmm. do Yeah yeah. <laughs>
1: like yeah, and, yeah. Then,
0: for and then you click you baby fat this. versus Fat Farm, like which one Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, You know what? Absolutely. I was
0: while we're on the topic of famous new yorkers because i was i was torn okay so what we're doing right now and by the way if you guys are new to listening if this is your first episode um hi welcome well the way we do the format of the show is each episode i go into a music lesson this is our off the record section where we talk about controversies i'm talking fraternity scandals messy contracts but right now our focus for the majority of the summer is going to be Rhythm and Bagos, Behind the Murders. Bum, bum. I should have got a sound effect here. <laughs> you got to um, get that long <laughs> order.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: It needs something. So I was kind of torn on which murdered musician to talk about today. But you know what? You brought up New York, so I think that is a sign. we're going to go with uh, Mr. Brooklyn himself, Biggie Smalls. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, do you mind sharing how old you are with the with the, with the
1: I was in high school when ready to die came out. So like, okay. yeah, Biggie is like in my, my up, like I grew up with that for sure.
0: So you grew up, uh, would you say you were a fan of Biggie? Were you like, did you enjoy his Absolutely. music a
1: lot? Absolutely. Cause yeah, cause ready to die is what, when does ready to die come out, which is his first record that comes out fucking, man, I don't, even. it's gotta be 94 ish you get it it's mid 90s for sure right yeah 94 mm-hmm. comes out and i, I say am though, right? living in upstate new york uh but like so a couple hours north of the city but biggie was everywhere that first record juicy was just playing everywhere constantly so and then to like you want to say you grew up with him, but what is it two records you know what i'm saying yeah. If you're gonna count you know if three if you count posthumous stuff so like uh as much as you could say that but yeah definitely huge fan of biggie it i was a biggie kind of guy over a biggie over tupac always
0: you know what i don't know how to explain it but i could call that on you i don't know why yeah. i just i felt like you were a big well you're from new york but i don't know why because sure. i was just like there's an energy to biggie guys versus tupac guys i feel like biggie guys will <laughs> A biggie guy will like cuss you out, but a Tupac guy will write you a letter to cuss you out later.
1: And I... <laughs> <laughs> I think so I think what happens here is Tupac has too much he went to like the fame high school. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? He was, he was like a, high, yeah. uh yeah, he was like Tupac Medical, was yeah. a real uh yeah, yeah, but Tupac was like a real like sensitive artist guy. -hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, that's who he is. And then he develops the, you know, quote unquote character of Tupac over the years to, you know, be, to channel that creativity. Whereas Biggie is just a fat dude from New York who likes to talk a lot of shit. And you can kind of, uh, you can kind of, it's not that you have to be one or the other, but you, you tend to fall into, uh, those are two very divergent paths to fall into. You're either like a guy that wants to do musical theater. Or you're a guy that wants to talk shit on the corner or on the back and sit in the back of the school bus and talk shit. Uh, and I definitely lean towards the the shit talking
0: Uh As a correction real quick, y'all, it was Baltimore School of the Arts where Big uh, uh, where Tupac went to school went, with yeah. Jada Pinkett, which, you know, is uh, one of those things that just it never dies. It always comes up every time people bring up marital stress with Jada Pinkett <laughs> and Will Smith. They're like, well, I mean, her true love died. Like it's. I love the mm-hmm. I love how we're all in their business ever since that stuff came out. But yeah, um, I think Biggie also is someone who writes like there's there's a I mean they're both clever writers, but there's certain comics that Absolutely. I think not sorry not comics rappers who write with more punchlines, and those tend to be the comedians I bring on. They tend to prefer them, so that's always uh, fun to talk about. Absolutely,
1: and, and and that is very much the difference between Biggie and Tupac in my head. Whereas like Tupac is like. He's writing, it's not, it's a, I don't want to say he's writing better songs, but he's almost writing more m- melodically, even with his mm-hmm. like sort of delivery. It's a lot of da-da-da-da-da-da, because da-da-da, he, he's kind of sing-songy in his delivery, where Biggie is, is a little more straightforward. It's complicated in the wordplay, but then it's also like punchline, punchline, Make metaphors, like for sure. More I, I Yeah. Yeah.
0: I can definitely agree with that. So let's talk about, obviously, since we're putting the focus on Behind the Murders. This was one of the Mm -hmm. first ones that people were like, are you going to talk about Biggie and Tupac? Because it's the biggest. But we're going to put the focus on Biggie for now. Although you can't talk about him without talking about Tupac. So let's take it back. Thanks to history.com and take it back to the original day that this is announced. Rapper Notorious B.I.G. is killed in Los Angeles accident or not accident. I was was going this is not an accident, but I was I was going for like a um, intense 90s reporter voice. Um, Rapper Notorious (laughs) B.I.G. is killed in Los Angeles. Uh, so March 9th, 1997, Christopher Wallace, a.k.a. Biggie Smiles, a.k.a. The Notorious B.I.G., is shot to death at a stoplight in Los Angeles. The murder was thought to be a culmination of an ongoing feud between rap music artists. I just love that at this time there was so much need for detail because mm-hmm. the belief is that the general audience does not know who they're talking about.
1: Sure. Like, But which is insane. Is- I mean, I guess I guess if the general audience is like people my age's parents than maybe yes but like anybody if you're like at all uh, like in your 20s i'd say probably even 30s or younger you knew exactly you couldn't get away from this the east coast west coast quote unquote rap feud was like on the cover of time magazine It was everywhere people magazine you know what i'm saying it wasn't something that was like just for hip-hop heads it was
0: but when it's funny, when you read these like news stories and how they're focused on like what what like middle age, middle America, white <laughs> people, they're yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. Chris, are you familiar with Christopher Wallace, perchance? Um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Oh, man. You know, it's so funny, too. I dated this guy in college who like swore up and down. He was the biggest Biggie fan. And he was mm. he's just. He was one of those like white rapper type guys who just like really needed everyone to know how cool he was, you know. And yeah. I remember we were in the car and I was listening to an old school station and they were playing Juicy Fruit, which is the sample Juicy comes from. <laughs> and he yeah. stops it and goes, what the hell is this Biggie remix?
1: <laughs> Ooh, ain't nothing like snitching on yourself. It's the best
0: and he would always be like oh i had all black friends growing up in baltimore and this that and the other like just needed like <laughs> it's like ooh, if you didn't know juicy was a sample
1: like maybe <laughs> you, you played didn't with not them- know that hip-hop used samples like what world did you think these were original compositions particularly in like the 90s in that era when it was just uh puffy like Essentially taking the instrumental of the song and putting a bass treat behind it like they weren't very subtle samples either, you know what I mean?
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's always so funny when someone does it. But then again, I find myself swearing I know the original and then I'm wrong and I'm like, oh no. Oh, yeah. oh no, yeah, I should be I'm, embarrassed.
1: <laughs> I'm not great at like there was a time when I was really good at hearing little samples, and then I'm old now, so I don't like they're starting to sample shit that's more recent than I like it's it's shit that I didn't listen to or whatever, so I'm not get I'm not great at picking out those samples. Not anymore.
0: which which triggers me is when I see things because you know I'm 32, which I think is like mm. the beginning of when people start to think of themselves as old. But I'm always like, you know what, life mm. is long. I'm not even middle age yet. Calm down. But yeah. they there's a Scissor song that samples "I'm Sorry, Miss Jackson" by Outcast, and I okay. was like.
1: That's too new to go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That feels weird. Because it's almost almost like that outcast song is probably sampling something else, but you're not sampling that. You're sampling the out you know what I mean? You're like two yes. degrees separated. Yeah, that's wild.
0: I couldn't believe, I mean it's it's the wedding march slowed down. Bum mm. but then like and I still was yeah, yeah, like, yeah. No, not outcast. <laughs> <laughs> they're safe, they're sacred, and this song only came out. Twenty-two years ago, like you know. What
1: I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what gets oh. me now is when I'll say like, "Oh, that song's not that old," and then I realize it's at least twenty. Like, it'll be for oh, it's that's not that old. It's from the nineties. That was twenty-five years ago. You old man. I, I
0: still think I think the nineties was ten years ago, and I think the two thousands are now. I have this yeah, like 100%. I saw, th- I saw this TikTok that absolutely fucked my brain up. Where it was like someone was showing their ID to get the cars I pick up and the person's like, "Oh, you don't need to show it to me. I can see the one."
1: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People who
0: were born in 1999 can drink. Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Yeah, 2000. Yes, that's. mm.
0: Yeah, I can't wrap my brain around it. So let's keep finishing. Let's finish here. I was just getting so stuck on them giving you know our grandparents so much background on this. (laughs) Reading from history.com wallace was the most prominent east coast practitioner of gangster rap his 1994 (laughs) record ready to die sold millions that same year shakur the west coast leading rapper was shot several times in a robbery at a recording studio in new york shakur claimed that wallace was partially responsible and later taunted wallace on one of his songs his i wish they would have put the lyrics calling him a (laughs) fat motherfucker and claiming to have fucked his bitch
1: Uh, yeah also like that is so not taunting is such the white version of what he did taunted him that's why i fucked your wife you fat motherfucker is a little stronger than a taunt like yeah that's crazy he
0: he claims i I I do
1: love the go ahead go ahead. i'm sorry please no 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 what are you saying bud not at all i was just gonna say i love that he was the leading practitioner of gangster rap it's just the most like It's so practitioner. I love it. Anyway, continue.
0: This is wonderful. Um, And then they do go on to say exactly what was said. Um, Not quite, you know, the cleanup version. Mm -hmm. He claimed to have slept with Wallace's ex wife singer Faith Evans and insults the overweight rapper for his ample girth.
1: (laughs) 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 So they did. Oh, that's so they did it. But they did it in the most suit and tie way you could possibly do it. That's fucking beautiful.
0: That is beautiful. Wallace's raps about violent street life were not completely fiction. He grew up in a poor section, not completely friction. None of it's friction. Okay, okay. Um, (laughs) He grew up in a poor section of Brooklyn and had many run ins with the law growing up. Even after he reached stardom in the music world, his legal woes continued. In the summer of 1996, he was arrested when police found marijuana and firearms at his New Jersey home. He also gave a new meaning to fan appreciation when he assaulted a pair of admirers with a baseball bat. The murder of Wallace has never been solved, though it has been suggested that either Marlon, Suge Knight, and we're going to talk about this in a second, the former head of death row record, Shakur's labor, or the Crips gang may be responsible. Knight was also shot, but not wounded seriously in the fatal Las Vegas attack on Shakur, and is rumored to have engineered a retaliatory strike against Wallace, whom he held responsible for the Las Vegas shooting. Knight has been incarcerated for a fatal hit and run since 2018. So that's what we have on that. Okay, what do you think about the theory that Suge Knight killed Biggie and Tupac?
1: Man, what I remember at the time, because there was a lot of weed smoking and a lot of talking about who killed who, at least in my circle of friends. And our, um, our consistent theory was that that Sug and Puffy agreed to kill both Tupac and Biggie.
0: For this is the a tinfoil stuff.
1: hat. Go ahead. We're I want some shit like deep this. black Alex Jones shit. But we were very much of the mindset that uh, they both realized that there's only so much money. And they were they, they both realized there's only so much money you're going to make off these people. And also that Tupac and Biggie were both too smart to continue to allow themselves to be exploited by these uh, horrific record labels. So if we kill them now, then they never get to turn on us publicly and we can just keep raking those royalties in. So that was our theory. It's obviously completely weed influenced bullshit, but. Part of me still thinks it may be a little bit not bullshit. I still have a little part of my heart that kind of believes it. I don't know that Suge did it. I think I would not be shocked if Suge ordered that shooting. Um, also, I say that safely because I'm pretty sure he's still in jail, right? Isn't Suge still in he jail? Is, yes, So I, he's I, not I'm gonna go, and I think he's, he's going to stay there. <laughs> That's my point. I'm still a terrified of Suge Knight. So, like, I'll talk shit while he's in prison. I Did he do it? I mean... He was hanging around with some real fucked up people at the time, ordering a lot of real fucked up shit. If you've ever listened to or like read into any of like the what was happening at Death Row at the time, there was a there's some real foul shit that Suge Knight like did to people. Like made a dude drink piss at gunpoint. Like he's like like a wild person. So did he did he do it? I wouldn't be shocked, but um, I don't know. Who knows, right?
0: Hmm. I've never heard of the, the piss. Do you think?
1: oh yeah look into look into the shit that was happening at death row because apparently he just moved in a bunch of because he was running like he was running uh, had been long connected to the bloods so he just took over that like death row records was in like a you know an office building essentially with a bunch of other like different floors that had different shit going on so people would have to go to work and be like don't get off on that floor because it was just overrun with like wild criminal shit happening <laughs>
0: um i'm imagining a dice game in the hallway when as soon as you yeah, it was just
1: elevator, wild <laughs> yeah, it was apparently this crazy shit going on so yeah like he's a violent man that did a lot of violent acts uh so i yeah i wouldn't be completely shocked uh if he did it
0: we think of of suge knight as the more violent one but he's the one in jail so like diddy could be like the ultimate mastermind like the idea also, of
1: the- There's some wild Diddy stories too with him fucking hitting people with wine bottles. He shot up a club with J Lo was with him. Like this, Diddy this is was true. not a. Diddy was not also was not like averse to violence for sure.
0: It is so funny because I feel like in the years after that, he's really created this rebrand of himself. And I think of him as like this softer, cuddly rapper, kind of in the same sense that like, I'd be forgetting Jay-Z killed somebody. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, (laughs) I'm like, oh, that's Beyonce's little husband. They had a fight back then, but she made some lemonade and they're good. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I just, these people had lives.
1: That's the thing with hip hop. so, So much of that era and a little earlier of hip hop is like, Ice Cube was like the scariest man in America for a minute. And now he's like, you know, everybody loves it. He made like, are we there yet? You know what I'm saying? Like, or or Snoop Dogg. Everybody, Snoop Dogg was on trial for murder because he murdered someone. Got off of self-defense or whatever, but like legit killed somebody. And then now hangs out with fucking Martha Stewart. And everybody fucking like your your mom thinks Snoop, Dor- Snoop is like adorable. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. yeah. They, they, time yes. heals all. Time heals all wounds. I guess
0: you can remarket anything. You can remarket anything. Mm. You can repackage anything. And I will say it is kind of interesting because you pointed out something that I kind of in my mind because I was like seven or eight when this happens. Um, when when Biggie and Tupac are no, I'm younger than that. I'm six, five or six years old. I, in my mind, I thought I, I think of them as having these huge. Um, like musical discographies because they've like, sure. they just, they're their hits that you hear all the time. Like everyone knows them. They're so ingrained in the fabric of hip hop music. And I think it's possibly Absolutely. because they died, you know, we just like mourn them by listening to them more and streaming them more. And it's so funny because I didn't realize like how short their lives and careers were. Like when you think yeah. about like, they've been, they've been dead longer than they were alive. Like they died so young. Yeah, I mean, Biggie was
1: what, how old was Biggie when he died? He was a baby, he was like 20, 20- five. He was a baby when he died.
0: I'm going to confirm that real quick because I just don't want 24 is, years old. Wow. You, 20, he, is he
1: 23? He was,
0: he was 24 when he died,
1: 24. born in 1972, Man, just, died in 1997. That's a, that's a. I mean, obviously it's not a child, you're an adult, but like, that's a, you're a, you're still a baby. You're not, a. you haven't gone through. So you haven't really gone through so much of your life at that point. Like he's 24. Has he bought a house? You know what I mean? Has he had, there's so many like adult things that he hasn't done uh, mm-hmm. at that point and, in his life. Like he's such, so young and, and Tupac wasn't like, I mean, he's- I'm 25, slightly one year older. older. Yeah, yeah, not much, right? So yeah, they're, they're still yeah. babies to me.
0: So crazy to think about. Like that's uh, that's, mm-hmm. what a huge impact they made in such a short amount of time. That is kind of For insane sure. to think about so my crazy con i have a theory okay <laughs> my okay, crazy theory it. that i love for so long was that tupac is secretly alive and just like living sure. in some island i would love when people would surface with the tupac pictures but they haven't extended the same and i think there's a comic who has this point that's like nobody believes biggie's still alive because he's fat like they just
1: assume that like he would have died anyway by him. this point yeah 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 <laughs> even, even if he was through the a shooting the diabetes would have got him even if he made it through the shooting, for sure.
0: Yeah, people think that. So I don't have that. I just, I feel like there were too many people who would be invested in Biggie still being alive. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, he had he had some of the most beautiful women in hip hop absolutely in love with him. You know, like Little mm. Kim and, 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 and Faith Evans. Like, there were just so many people invested in his life. I'm 100% certain Biggie's dead. I don't think, I don't think Puffy did it. Puffy slash P Diddy did it. I don't, mm-hmm. but your th- your friend's little pot smoking theory kind of makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense because I will say, you know, Puffy made some money off Biggie being dead. Like even, but like before his body was warm, he was in the desert with a flowy white shirt on, thinking mm-hmm. of the day. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He got a
0: hit out of it, a chart mm-hmm. topping it, and it's also kind of like I think we conflate their music a lot too because like Diddy's not a good rapper. But you think oh, of him and no. then you think of so many greats. You think of Mace and you think of Biggie and you think of this like empire around Diddy. And so it makes you think he's a great musician. He is a great salesman of musician. He's a great businessman. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah but he's for a- sure. And he knows how to like find talent and who to hire to write for him and who to hire to produce his music. But yeah, he's not a, I don't, I have never thought of B- uh, Puffy as a particularly creative person. He's just a really ruthless businessman.
0: Yeah. Yeah, ruthless. Did you ever watch the show The Band?
1: Oh, uh, Making the Band? Absolutely. That shit was hilarious. Because also, like, nothing you made them do. There's Occasionally, there's like a reality show where it's like, okay, we're going to put you through some crazy contest. But that contest is going to show some skills that you may need in this uh, desired occupation you're trying to do, right? You want to be a chef? Okay. We're going to, you're a home chef, but we're going to make you cook in a restaurant. That's probably outside of your fucking wheelhouse, but it is something that chefs have to do. That fucking making a band. It was always like, Oh, go walk across the Brooklyn bridge, go steal a cat, go do whatever the fuck. And like, none of that has to do with music. None of that was ever about like make actually being in a band. Yeah. It was wild
0: straight up fraternity hazing like the cheese yeah, that's episode exactly what it was
1: yeah 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 hundred <laughs> percent it was hazing uh, that's for sure
0: so we got our theories there's quite a bit of conspiracies i'm checking some different things out online and most of them mm-hmm. focus around tupac there's so much more lore about him being alive which is so messed up people are just like nah like there's a lot of there's a lot of theories around who killed them, but the biggest and most popular one is that it was Shook Knight. That is like, it's almost like, it's almost like that's people just that's the consensus. Everyone just believes that to be true. Um, there are some other people involved, like Orlando Anderson. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Are you familiar with that?
1: A little bit, yeah. I've gone down the rabbit hole a few times, and there's been a few documentaries. So like, uh, I'm a little familiar with some of the the sort of bigger uh, suspects, I guess.
0: So that's also, but
1: maybe the cops, there was that detective. I can't think of his name, but yeah. So there's a lot of weird tie-ins like that.
0: Yes. The LAPD. This theory ties in with Mm -hmm. Suge Knight. LAPD officer Russell Poole, who was a lead investigator on Biggie's murder, accused other LAPD officers of having connections to death row records and should Knight, who he thought planned Biggie's murder. Poole believes that Knight had Biggie murdered as revenge for Tupac's death. He was ordered to stop his investigation on the case and retired in 1999. Poole died in a heart attack in August f- 2015, while he was discussing the case with LA County Sheriff homicide detectives. At the time he is, he was working on a book about the murders. Ooh. And then there's the puff daddy theory, which has a little bit of, like of legs. There's a lot of people involved in that. Um they say that they say that he hired gang members to shoot Biggie. Uh and Diddy's former bodyguard bodyguard believes those allegations. According to retired LAPT detectives, Biggie's mother, Valletta Wallace, believes that Puff Daddy and Sug Knight are responsible for her son. Okay, so Biggie's mama agrees with your weed circle from the mm-hmm. 90s.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you. It makes sense. There's some logic there. Just the ver- just the idea that like I do think eventually both of the, like Tupac and Biggie would have seen through all that horseshit. Cause even then there's quotes of Tupac having said, like, we're just trying to sell records. I don't, I don't hate Biggie or whatever. I'm just, this is all about selling records. I think they would have just seen through the horseshit. They would have realized that they're both being taken advantage of. And now is there, if you're Puffy and you have Biggie in your roster and he's the most, one of the most beloved artists of the time, and then he turns on you and publicly goes, Oh, this guy's been ripping me off. There's no coming back from that. But if he dies Uh before you get it, before he gets a chance to do that, whoo, you can stack up them sympathy dollars. You get to uh, make that sting song with that white shirt. You don't get to do that if Biggie's mad at you. So yeah, I think there's some more, it's a more interesting, I, I treat it like Bigfoot. It's a more, I don't necessarily believe that Bigfoot's real, but I want to, it's a more interesting world. So like, it's a more interesting world if Puffy did this shit.
0: Yeah, the theory that they're still alive is funny though because the people who have claimed it, like I'm seeing a, it's seeming like like middle aged white people on vacation, and so I'm like, did well, you? Yeah, see a yeah, yeah. Or you, you just, just saw see some... a black,
1: you saw a black <laughs> dude. And I also think that part of the reason people still like Tupac is alive because there's a lot of, you can just see a there's a lot of dudes that kind of look like Tupac out there. He's just like a he's a a, a, a a kind of handsome black dude. Biggie is a very uniquely. Unattractive man, like he isn't ugly. He's got a lazy eye. There's a lot of distinct yeah. features to Biggie that is like you don't run into that often. So I think white people just saw a skinny black dude in a like interestingly tied bandana in Cincinnati somewhere, and they were like, "Oh shit, Tupac's still alive."
0: <laughs> also, I can blame the uh, the terrible mural artist of Los Angeles for that because they probably skewer his face so much. <laughs> like, if he you were to ask. If you were to ask someone to draw Tupac from memory, they would draw Kobe Bryant. Like I I (laughs) cannot tell, I've lived in LA for six months and every, I cannot tell Kobe Bryant and and Tupac apart anymore because these murals are so bad
1: out Nipsey Hussle was lucky he was light-skinned because that's the only reason he (laughs) ain't in that mix too.
0: (laughs) The next time a light-skinned person dies, like, oh man. I mean, if we get enough, you think eventually we'll start to think that Nipsey Nipsey Hussle and Prince look alike. Why a lot of Prince murals? A purple
1: suit, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: A lot of Prince murals look like MJ, and you're like, "What is?" it mm-hmm. So people just like these.
1: They all and, just and somebody's.
0: There's no excuse. All right, you have a smartphone. Keep it open. Glance back at it from reference. <laughs>
1: like, and people don't go like. And part of it, you're just a bad artist. So like people don't, people aren't going to call, you make a RIP mural. It's it's hard for somebody to walk up and be like, oh, that, sh- that sucks. You did a bad job <laughs> trying to, you know what I'm saying? Trying to pay homage to this dead person. But sometimes you need to tell people that Prince does not also look like Kirby Bucket or whoever the fuck you painted the next dude that you pulled in Minnesota.
0: <laughs> oh, I love the idea of the state being like, sorry, we denied your funding for this mural because it's bad so i'm gonna need it's you just to bad. either just you know replace it um draw some doves s- some shoes pointed up but i'm gonna need something <laughs> to give us a clear indicator which artist you're more <laughs> and more yeah
1: yeah yeah exactly all
0: right now that is gonna wrap off off the record behind the murders edition uh for today if you guys want us to cover a specific musical murder we're all about it we're interested i was this close to talking about musicians who've murdered people but i keep shying Ooh. away from that because some of them make me so sad like i was looking up brandy and like how she killed somebody in a hit and run and i was like this is just sad so <laughs> like the wound i forgot is about, bit-
1: about that and for a split yeah. second i was like she shot somebody I don't know who the fuck the Brandy murder, <laughs> but then yeah it was a car accident i get you
0: can you imagine if there had been like a West Coast, East Coast beef, but with Brandy and Monica, like 16-year-old <laughs> teen starling?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The boy is mine, bitch. Pulls the pistol out. Yeah, yeah.
0: It could have been. You know, I think we tried to mimic that a little bit in like the later 2000s when it was like Ja Rule versus Eminem. Or like, mm-hmm. like you know what I mean? Like there was some, ooh, is it going to be a, an East versus, East Coast versus East Coast yeah, beef, yeah, yeah. but it never really... Never really popped off like that. Ja Rule wasn't really about that life, but uh, <laughs> that is going to wrap that Yeah, The problem
1: of. was when they tried to do it again with like 50 and Ja, the problem with that was 50 will shoot you like there's yes. never been nobody. There is no debate. There's there's often like the uh, who's a real gangster in hip-hop or whatever, and like what are their street bona fides legitimate? Nobody's ever questioned fifty cents fucking street bona fides. That dude will shoot you. So people I don't think wanted to push that fucking beef that hard. It was always
0: kind of funny because it was almost like it worked in reverse because Jaw Rule basically tried to cut off 50's career at the knees by just telling people <laughs> how dangerous 50 was. Like 50 Cent was <laughs> supposed to be featured. Work- he was supposed to be back when there was an era where it was like J Lo and Ja Rule doing a bunch of songs together, mm. Ja Rule shut down the her team wanted her to work with fifty cent. And then his mm. team was like, He's actually dangerous. This is not gonna be fun. Mm. She could get hurt. And then they were yeah, like, yeah. cut it off. And so he cost him that feature, which starts all their, oh, wow. their beef between the two of them. Although That's I, crazy I, I think knew that. I know Ja Rule messed up and got a lot of white kids stranded on an island with no lunch money. <laughs> but <laughs>
1: Maybe the best thing he's ever done. Quite honestly, that might be the best thing outside of fucking uh, that fucking uh, Oh, what's that fucking good Ja Rule song? Oh, what'd you do about my baby? The thought alone might break me. What's that song? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. I can't think uh, of the song. I
0: wanna go Cause
1: every thug needs a lady. Yeah. Yeah. It's- yeah,
0: yeah, he that Cookie Monster segment of uh, music. Put it on hot.
1: me. Put it on me is the name of that song. Sorry, I dropped Fe- that.
0: Featuring that. Lil Mo. There are so many songs where, where the the sing the feature just we completely forget who they are. Like I feel mm-hmm. like every feature with with we all assume it's Ashanti, but it's not. Like that was Lil Mo. a whole career. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
0: So every episode, there's at least one artist where I go, where are they? Like you know, a couple weeks ago, I was like, mm-hmm. where's Macy Gray? Today, the question I ask you is, where's Lil Mo? We gotta we gotta find her. We gotta see what she's doing. Uh, but Did yeah, you figure that out was
1: answer to where Macy Gray is, by the way, because you said it, and I was like, "What the fuck is Macy Gray?"
0: She made a jazz album in like 2018. She's still making really? stuff. Um, she's doing Who's some that? fashion. Fa- she actually had like some fashion campaigns. She's staying, she's staying under the radar, but busy. Um, has a little, like doing a little bit of the family thing, but she's Good. still out there enjoying herself. She's got a little music. <laughs> sorry when you look at macy gray like just the word macy gray the second question is why is macy gray famous so
1: (laughs) oh that's that's mean google that is a mean question to ask
0: (laughs) gen z be asking the meanest fucking question you know someone under 25 is responsible for changing the results
1: of what and also why like if you don't even know who macy gray is what is prompting you to even ask that question did you watch Spider-Man 2 or whatever where she shows up in the parade and you're like, "Wow, why is that lady here? She's in one of them <laughs> Maybe. movies. I don't remember which one. But like, you know what I mean? Like, if you don't know why she's famous, then what are you Googling Macy Gray for? She's not around. She didn't like feature on a, a fucking Beyonce's record. And you're like, oh, who is she? It's weird, I don't know.
0: I just, I never know. I never know how people get the information, but then don't finish getting the information. That is always, you know, like when Katy Perry had Missy Elliott at the Super Bowl and kids were Googling who's Missy Elliott. And I was like, how'd you get here though? How did you? All right. So that's going to wrap it up for that segment. This next segment is really fun. Chris, it's all about you. Are you ready? I'm ready okay so this is the soundtrack of your life or playlist of your life i haven't really chosen a name for it and we've been doing this for weeks <laughs> can you believe it um but what it is is it's all about finding out the songs that make chris who chris cubis is so um do you want to do this do you want to go from five to one or one to five or just tell me how I, you do? yeah
1: i don't know i just have songs um i didn't rank them they're just sort of um yeah, I don't know. We'll see how this goes. I, these are very important songs to me, or songs that I think like uh, speak to moments, or... Right, we'll get to it. Let's jump in with... And also, forgive me for being old, uh, so so these aren't going to be the hottest tracks. Uh, Black Steel <laughs> and Hour of Chaos by Public Enemy. Uh, Whoa,
0: that is a deep yeah. cut. That is not a super famous Public Enemy one.
1: It's not even a super famous Public Enemy song. It is maybe my favorite Public Enemy song. I am. Uh, this is speaking as uh, someone who has a Public Enemy tattoo. Uh, Public Enemy was a very formative band for me. This album really? is. This is off of "Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back," which comes out in nineteen eighty eight. I am a love long titles comes out. Oh yeah, for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, And they would continue to do that for a minute or some long ass subtitle or whatever. Uh, Apocalypse 91, the enemy strikes black like that. So you know what I'm saying? They just love, love doing long (laughs) shit like that. But uh, what I always, so this album comes out, I'm 11. I probably don't hear it till I'm 12. I doubt I heard it right at 11, but my parents, were always I, I like to say they were strict but cool when it came to like music or that i was allowed to listen to or movies that i was allowed to see in that like if there's a parental advisory sticker on it i wasn't right away allowed to get it that was something to be like oh that's you know that's grown folk or whatever however uh-huh. they would always let me make a case for shit, and <laughs> then they would either listen to or uh, if the album had like the lyrics in it, they would read the lyrics um, and then kind of make decisions. So a band like Public Enemy, um, while it had a parental advisory sticker on it and it did have a fair amount of profanity in it, they were like, oh, these guys are doing something. This isn't gratuitous or exploitative. This is like smart music that's trying to say something. So they that, that would override like an R rating or a Parental Advisory label. So at twelve, I was allowed to listen to this album. That's probably not for twelve year olds, but fucking spoke to angry little fucking twelve year old Chris Cubans. Uh, this <laughs> song, "Black Ceiling Hour Chaos," is about a uh, conscientious objector who's supposed to be drafted into the uh, to the army, and he refuses to go, so he's sent to prison. He has to break out of jail. Uh, it is a uh, features sample by Isaac Hayes. There's a piano sample on the song from an Isaac Hayes song called Hyperbolic Syllabic La Mystic off of Hot Buttered Soul, which is one of my father's favorite records. He used to play it all the time. So it was that thing where like I could, if I played this, he'd hear it and be like, oh, I know that or whatever. And it was like a, it just sort of, I grew up like 88 rap is crap. is still like a a very prominent sentiment. You know what I'm saying? um it just was like that was the world like rap hadn't become the predominant form of popular music like it is now and has been for the last couple decades in 88 it's still like it's becoming popular for sure but it's definitely like a I don't want to say niche is too small but it's definitely like not the you know the mainstream at that point
0: oh yeah um, it was socially acceptable to hate rap kind of the same way yeah. people say i like i like a- everything but country people would say i like everything mm. but rap now if someone yeah, says yeah. that rap. i'm just like did you say maga that's what i heard You're like, racist. you know yeah, I, heard racist. I heard
1: i heard the n-word what i heard was you called <laughs> me uh, called me the n-word yeah, yeah for sure I like that's it. exactly and that was a personality to hate rap music was a personality you know what i mean um, uh-huh. But to, to have that sample that my father could, and even that, like, he was old and rap music isn't for old people, but he could hear that sample and go, oh, I know this music. They're building off of this thing that I like, And you know, oh, maybe there's something here. So it was a very, very important track to me. That's
0: so interesting. Um, so you said you were an angry twelve-year-old, and this like really yeah. spoke to you at the time. So
1: I and now you're angry, but for no good reason. In that, not and that's not true. I'm so we grew up. I was born in Staten Island, but moved upstate New York. So I was born in uh, uh, Staten Island, New York is is one of the five boroughs. It's like you know the city, and we mm-hmm. lived in the projects, and it was like predominantly black folks and whatever. But then we moved upstate. And it was all white people. So I went to an elementary school of like th- three or four black kids and just a bunch of white people. And, you know, I had friends, and I'm not saying it was all terrible, but there was definitely a lot of fucking racism. And uh, you get in a schoolyard fight, and there'd be a song. Kids would sing a song. Uh, fight, fight, a nigger and a white. If the white don't win, we all jump in. Oh boy, I heard that a lot growing up. What? Um, yeah, very prominent song. So if you do don't take about, this
0: ass whooping and we're all gonna beat you up.
1: I I used to do a bit about how like I don't I don't have sympathy for the white victims, like white bullying victims, because like you might have gotten your ass whooped but did you have a soundtrack? Did your ass whoop come <laughs> with a theme song? Because it didn't. Uh, um, but yeah, so it's, I, so like I had these issues, and uh, Public Enemy was this like. Very pro-black, definitely over my head. I think a lot of it was probably smarter than I was at 12, but it was a thing of like, this is your music of rebellion, which I think every generation or every sort of age group needs. And it like was something that was able to speak to me. And then also I had like white friends that listened to it and liked it so we could sort of bond on these things. Uh, yeah, it was just very, very fucking important to me and would continue to be for uh, at least three more albums before they stopped being particularly good. <laughs>
0: How do you feel about like in the post public enemy era, what has happened to the members of the group? I'll just say it. Do you ever feel any embarrassment or shame Flavor Flav Flave Flave you know,
1: <laughs> Of course, but then also, so like, yes, Flavor Flav had his problems for sure, right? but also like, so do a lot of musicians. And I like, yeah, he got into drugs too hard. That happens to a lot of fucking musicians. He unfortunately decided to be on drugs and have a reality TV show at the same time. I was time, gonna say, like, that's embarrassing,
0: the embarrassing part, The
1: drugs is not the thing. Um, But then I'll hear shit like uh, I was doing a festival in Las Vegas and I guess he lives out in Vegas and I guess every year he just goes and buys a shit ton of fireworks for the 4th of July and then just has like a crazy fireworks display that's like not professional he doesn't hire people to do it he just does it himself and he constantly has to like move it around because the cops keep trying to shut him down I'm like that's some Flavor Flavor shit and then you find out Flavor Flavor is also like a multi-instrumentalist and can play like 50 instruments uh, I've seen them live a few times, a couple times with a, with a live band. And he did that, and Flavor Flav would do that Prince shit of, like, go to the guitar, solo on the guitar, go to the drums, play the shit on the drums, go to the piano. Oh, shit, you didn't think I could play the piano? He's a very interesting, if troubled, person. Is uh. he embarrassing? Yeah, sometimes. But fucking, you know, I don't know of any, other than the fact that he's got, like, a bunch of different baby mamas and a bunch of whatever. I don't know, man. He'll, he's. I hope he figures it out probably won't but fingers crossed i just think him. it's funny like- that there
0: is there's a whole generation that just does not know the impact he had on hip-hop and like sure. not him individually but also public enemy like what there is a group and they just know him as the guy with the clock dating mm-hmm. all these desperate women and that is yeah i mean i'm not gonna lie i work my parents hated hip-hop they were just they're old they're boomers and my yes. dad is one of those people who just like he <laughs> He hates hip hop and brings it up all the time and thinks it's like great fodder for conversation. And the last time he did, he said something that I can't stand when I hear that Jay-Z doing da 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 And I'm like, Father, mm. he's 50 years old. Your peers.
1: Yeah. All right, this yeah, is yeah. not a young man. About. About. <laughs> My dad, would, I, I grew up with those people that would say shit like, who is this? That Snoopy Dog Dog. You know what I mean? They would always like <laughs> off the name a little bit. That's just, and it's like come on now that he's a grandfather he like coaches peewee football can we just move <laughs> off in this nonsense
0: so you called yourself old earlier when it came to like you like what mm. your songs are gonna be do you find that you like hit a specific wall where you're like okay this is where I stop this is where stuff is gonna be too this is where I'm done
1: so I try not to But Mm -hmm. it takes work. I will very I could very easily just like go to my Spotify and just hit some like 90s backpack playlist and walk the fuck away and be very comfortable listening to that for the rest of my life. I try not to. I try to continue to listen to stuff. I am at the point where I think a lot of my best opinions are God bless them. Like, this is not for me. You are not making music for my 42-year-old ass, but I wish you the best. I try not to be the, like, oh, back in my day, we they knew how to rap. Like, that kind of shit, I try not to say. Um, I'll give you an example. Lil Nas X, God bless him. I hope he makes a billion dollars, and I hope he makes... People mad. I hope he gets gayer. I hope he continues to just make <laughs> the gayest music impossible. I want him to be is like because it makes people so mad. And I just hope he and he kind of said been like continuing along this, like you look at the uh Montero video and an industry baby or whatever, and he's making these like big gay statements. And I hope he makes a hundred more of them. I hope he makes all the money in the world, and I hope he makes uh uh, homophobic black people and homophobic white people angry until the end of time i will never buy a little nas x record it doesn't got it's not popping in on my spotify i ain't going to the concert have you it's listened to industry me. baby i have not because i know who i am it's I'm not gonna, for me the, and it's funny yes, i bet it's, it's good i bet it's x good couple,
0: nope okay you have to hear I it bet, here's
1: good. the thing i bet it's good that's my point though I don't put myself in a position to speak ill of things that aren't made for me. You're not yes. making music with my 42 year old ass in in uh, in mind, and as such, it's not my place to speak on it. I can't say this is bad or good because it's not made. It's not for me. Uh, so Lil Nas X, do what you're doing. I'm gonna keep my old ass over here. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna wait till uh, I don't know, like fucking. Not even Jay-Z, because I'm not listening to that either, but like, I- I'm going to find, like, I'm waiting for like Talib Kweli to put up another un- oh. record no one's ever listened to. And I'm just going to listen to that again. Or like, I just, East Coast bar shit. I like, like, uh, like Young M.A. is probably, as like, that's, she's still working, but she does the type of rap I like that. Young M.A. You know what I'm saying? But she does East Coast punchline heavy Bar like grimy New York rap, which is what I—that's my wheelhouse. So that's what I'm yes. going to listen to. You keep making more of that.
0: I like that pun. Especially Speaking pun of pun time which, time I love
1: that—that's my wheelhouse. And the next song I'm going to bring up is Paul Simon's "Me and Julio Down by the Schoolyard." Thank
0: you. that's song,
1: <laughs> song number two.
0: Why that song?
1: My mother. So my father is uh, black and Hispanic. My mother's white, Irish, Italian, Norwegian, a bunch of white shit. Um. She didn't really listen to music much. It was weird. It wasn't like, like my father had a huge record collection would listen to uh, a lot of jazz, but a lot of like old soul records and that kind of stuff. My mother was not like a music person. I can think of like four artists and she would just maybe listen to those. She put, she listened to a lot of like talk radio for we you in the car, or she would just put on like the oldie station. She wasn't a music person like that. But boy, did she love Paul Simon. And she, like, that was one of those artists that she would, like, put, oh, oh she would get Paul Simon CDs and put them in the red and same. She had it on a tape, and then when CDs came out, she got it on the CD. Same shit, but that was, like, her, she loved it. Uh, so I heard that song, and that song just reminds me of that, of that growing up, and just, like, if my mother was around cleaning or, uh, you know, taking me somewhere in a car or whatever, it was a good chance Paul Simon was playing so i have a uh, like a nostalgic appreciation but also like that shit goes <laughs> the music is fucking like it's good it's catchy ass music
0: so just a catchy song that reminds you of your father who was a great
1: like reminds jazz lover a collector reminds me of my mother. my mother yeah my mother more so than my father my father listened to graceland that was his Paul simon banger um mm-hmm. that was an album that was like weirdly super crossover because, like, you can call me Al's video would be on MTV, but also my parents own that record. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> my mom for sure. My mom for sure. Paul Simon all
0: day. So I love what you were saying earlier, too, about them kind of uh, uh, with the parental advisory stickers, still trying to give mm-hmm. you like some grace, but then letting, and then you got to, I wonder if like learning to advocate for the material you took in maybe helped you later as a comic. Cause I I'm just imagining a little 12 year old version of you being like, here's why. I need to hear
1: this. That's absolutely, that's very true. But also I think what it did more so was allow me to think in the mindset that art can be provocative and profane while still having value. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? There's a difference between, so like, even, you look, like, I grew up with NWA, right? And a lot of their stuff has value, you know, for sure. But then a lot of it was provocative and profane for the sake of, you know what I'm saying? A lot of, like, just, like, dirty for the sake of dirty. And that serves a purpose, but also you can be dirty or profane or whatever and, and have a point and try to be doing something smart. And I think the idea that you can do those things, I think my parents being like, yes, this Ice-T record is vulgar but it is vulgar for a reason. We, You are clearly old enough to understand that reason if you can make these arguments. So yes, you can listen to this wildly inappropriate for your age iced tea record uh, because you're smart enough to go. And like having that leeway of being like, you just have to prove that you get it I think uh-huh. is like a, an underrated parenting thing. Cause like parents are busy and it's very easy to just look at a sticker and go, Oh no, you don't get that one. It's got the sticker on it. Whereas they took a minute to be like, no, you can, you know, make a case. And like, I wasn't, imbi- I often was just copying them, like, you know, dubbing tapes from my white friends who were allowed to listen to anything they wanted because their parents didn't <laughs> give a fuck. Um, so I had that opportunity. And also there were times where my parents would say like, I remember on, uh, I want to say it was ice T O G. They were like, you can't listen to these. You have to remove these three songs because we think these are trash for the sake of trashness, but the rest of these you're fine with, and maybe just as pro or whatever, but like they, they really took an made an effort to sort of like, I don't know. I, I always thought that was like an interesting thing to be like, uh, for a parent to take that time and effort to say, no, if you can prove that you get it and you can prove that you like, aren't just going to go to school and get in trouble for singing these songs that you're not supposed to sing and like knowing context that was cool
0: i think that's admirable it really is uh especially with the way people are just kind of like here's your tablet
1: I don't know. Mm-hmm.
0: Watch what you want. Yeah, and then they're sure. like, my kid saw a, a Momo or whatever. It was like the, the YouTube videos are haunting children. Um,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how you <laughs> end up with Slender Man. That's how you end up girls killing people for Slender Man or whatever. Yeah, oh, take taking phones away.
0: Oh my god. And like uh, Taylor Swift girls that doing Al Qaeda. It's wow. So take me to your number three track.
1: <laughs> number three. Weird Al Yankovic's good old days. Weird I Al- so I've always been a comedy kid, like even as a young kid, I loved stand up. I loved funny and Weird Al was like the funniest. Weird Al to me was just like because what the, he did the parody thing, which is obviously super funny, but like I'm a deep cut Weird Al nerd. So I was like, gonna say,
0: I've never heard this. I only know his parody. Good,
1: good, good Old Days is an original. He's got a lot of originals. I The only time I've ever been able to see him live was he did moon tower a couple of years ago the comedy festival here in austin and he How cool. only did it was amazing live band live orchestra only did originals it was fucking like for He was like this is for the heads like this is for the fucking nerds and it was amazing <laughs> and good old days is a incredibly dark incredibly weird song for weird al yankovic um where he's like, it kind of sounds like a James Taylor song. He's singing about like his little town that he grew up in and the ice cream shop and the barber or whatever. But then each verse will take a crazy turn where he burns down the general store and bashes the store owner's head in with a hammer. and then he sings about the good old days. it's It's dark and weird. But it was this thing for me as a kid, whereas another thing of like, my parents didn't give a fuck if I listen to Weird Al, he's the safest thing in the world. But you could, Weird Al would sneak some shit in if you didn't know what you were listening to. Uh, <laughs> so having that that idea of like, you can disguise fucked up shit in like palatable things. Very important.
0: This is okay. So I'm looking up the lyrics here because I like had the, mm-hmm. know. I'm just very curious, and it's exactly what you're talking yeah, about. I love, I love how it's it's a play on like the um, the overly simplified. I mean, guess that's why it's called Good Old Days. That's so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just keeps going. <laughs> so Weird Al, you've seen him live. How many times have you seen lo- Weird Al? Live? That was the
1: only time. I only got to see him that once. It was something that like I think once I like he was very important to me as a kid. And then you kind of fall out of that. I think once I'm going to shows, if I hit, like, say I'm going to see bands, I'm, uh, you know, too cool to go see Weird Al. I'm, you know, 16, I'm going to go see, you know, some hip-hop band, some punk rock show or whatever. Um, and then I didn't really have an opportunity to see him until, you know, a few years ago. So, yeah, that was the only time I got to see him. I was made a very... Uh, what is that the fruit, energy like? A- it's beautiful it's kind of like a bunch of like if you have ever been around non-toxic nerds nerds can be very toxic when it comes to their fandom like yes around star Wars nerds or whatever they can be like gatekeeper-y and terrible but like this was the just it it was at the paramount right so it's like you know a thousand people 1500 people whatever they fit in that theater of like Deep weird Al fans, because again, he's not doing uh fat. He's not doing eat it. It's all the it's only doing originals. So it's deep nerds who'd like this one thing and are just very excited to be around other nerds who also like this one thing. So like everybody's like turned oh he's playing us oh shit, you know the words. Everybody's just having like the most fun in the world. It was it's perfect. That's amazing. That sounds like yeah, I'm just wondering. Ways. Like, I mean, do, do you dance at a Weird owl show? Like, do you? <laughs> I mean, I didn't see a ton of dancing. This didn't seem like the crowd. That was so. It was more about sort of sitting down, and you might stand up and clap every once in a while or something. But it's more about just sort of listening and appreciating and, and laughing and having a good time.
0: I I am gonna show up and twerk at a Weird Al show. Just
1: just for, no, people would be irritated.
0: You're in the way of art here. You're in the way of yeah. art. <laughs> So that sounds so cool. It's this has been a very interesting mix. We've got uh, Public Enemy, Paul Simon, and Weird Al Yankovic. So I'm seeing a little bit, a little bit of all the things. The kind of we've got some angry music, some more serene music, and then just weird for the sake of weird. I looked up these lyrics and I was like, "This is this is super
1: dark." Yeah, yeah. It's like a (laughs) yeah. It's it's but it's that weird. But that's also a thing I like in comedy when you can take. A really dark subject matter and make it funny in a way that's also not, I think we get too much now people just too much like, how do I say this, you, you can take something that is super dark and make it funny in a way that isn't meant to like hurt one particular group of people there's too much comedy now that's like oh i'm going to talk about racism no you just want to say the n-word that is a different thing you know what i'm saying that's not the same thing as you making a dark subject funny that is you just like embracing offensiveness for the sake of offensiveness and while this song at its core could be this weird song could be pretty offensive if you think uh if you think about these like murderous lyrics but they are also just like they're not at anyone's particular expense. The humor is in the turn. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The humor is in the, oh, the beginning of the song is a very serene, simple song about nostalgia that takes this drastic turn into violence. And that's where the humor is, as opposed to just hammering home the violence for the sake of the violence. I think there's a lot to be said man i'm thinking i never thought i'd be talking this deep about weird al but i do think that is a uh i think that's something that is sorely missing in a lot of like not that there aren't fucking brilliant comics doing those things it's just like yes getting washed over by the you know tim Dillons and your whoever i shouldn't name names but whatever fuck.
0: i okay and all caps tim dylan <laughs> <robber. laughs> <laughs> That yeah, will be I, that. That'll be the that's pull. The name quote. Of the We're gonna call this yeah, episode Chris Cubis Names Name. We're gonna call Chris Cubis Gets Beef. Yeah, yeah, names names. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> just, yeah. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I think I you're making some awesome points about just the change in. I, I, there's that's a great thing about with what Weird Al usually does is there usually isn't a, a lot of intention for harm, but more like right. the humor of like this is a crazy thing to say, isn't it? As opposed mm. to. Isn't it crazy that I can say this? I think sometimes right. some comics have this attitude of like, um, uh, can you believe I'm saying this? And it's like, well, why are you saying it? Is it because you generally think say it's that,
1: funny? I used to say that Louis C.K. would write certain jokes. Like he would start with the N-word and write backwards. He just, <laughs> would, he wanted to say the N-word and then wrote, write a joke that he thought would allow him to say the n-word his whole comedic persona is look at what i'm getting away with as a 42 year old fucking man which is a child's thing that is something a child does a child says oh look what i'm getting away with not look what i'm doing that subverts bigger ideas or has you thinking about something i just go like hee, look at me i'm so naughty that's like i guess that's i mean that's a type of comedy but i don't find it
0: interesting yeah No, I think you're, you you know what, I'm just going to say this, it frustrates me so much sometimes with with Louis C.K. because like, you know, obviously he's a terrible guy, but you know what, a a broken clock's right, like twice a day, so he has one of my absolute favorite bits. Fucking
1: jokes, absolutely, there's no denying the man, I grew up loving Bill Cosby, I can no longer listen to Bill Cosby, Um, that's just the way that is. Uh, but we, and CK's different because obviously he's not one of the worst serial rapists of all times, we're talking degrees here, but like even if we're just looking at his comedy I think a lot of it is like very very funny, and then a lot of it is just like, I don't know annoying, I, I not annoying but just like, you lean into the worst aspects of white, of I don't want to say white privilege because that's too easy, but of like of like white white entitlement and white entitlement and white oh i'm so it's so hard for me of white of white self-perceived oppression you know what i mean the idea of like oh i'm not allowed to say the n-word well watch me i'm gonna say it and like you didn't say it you didn't like say it in some way that like changes anything you just said it you got away with saying it Awesome. Good for you, man.
0: You know, so you just pointed hey. out this whole like I can't believe I can say. Okay, so my favorite bit by him is about is about dating violence and it's so smart and mm. he says like like for a woman dating is the most dangerous thing you can do. Imagine if the only people you could date were half bear and you had to convince yeah, yeah, yourself yeah, yeah. well sometimes this bear. Well, I just thought about it and I was like I was always like what an insightful thing for a person to say. It's crazy that he's a predator and then I was like oh, it's, he loved getting away with saying so, so. It's like, can you believe me? A predator just there, said that women that... have a hard time with predators.
1: <laughs> yeah, wild. Ugh. Yeah.
0: Ugh, mm. Fuck him. Anyways,
1: um... next song: Weird. Sam cook "A Change Gonna Come."
0: Beautiful. Oh. I was this close to talking about Sam Cooke, but I wanted to do more mm. research, so I I gave it the, the time it really, really needed. Talk to me sure. about why a change is gonna come and the impact that song had for you.
1: So it's not even, so it's kind of a, tied into a specific memory, but uh, on a larger scale, Sam Cooke is my favorite male vocalist of all time. If we think purely just a man singing my, I don't mm-hmm. know that there's a man with a better pure singing voice ever than Sam. Coe, just my personal opinion. completely agree. Uh, but I had, <laughs> I was in voice scouts as a child and we had our annual fundraiser was a, uh, pie sale. We would make and sell pies. And my father worked for the post office, but he worked in, so we lived upstate New York, he worked a couple, like an hour and a half away in New Jersey, um, and he would always sell a shit ton of pies at the at the post office because he worked at like the like a processing plant. So there was like a few hundred employees, like a big. It wasn't like a local post office, like the the hub where all the mail would go. Uh, so he would all go and sell all these pies, and then I would have to go uh, make help make the deliveries when the pies came in. So one year we're driving and we were listening to a radio station I cannot remember, and they were playing this like retrospective on Sam Cooke. And it was like, you know, they would play a song and then they would interview somebody who was like tied to the song or they would play a song and, you know, talk about the cultural impact. And it was, I don't remember the radio station, but I remember them playing the song and it was a friend. I'd heard Sam Cooke a lot, but I'd never heard Change Gonna Come Before. And it's such a, it's so beautiful and sad. Yes. And you, it's like it was the first time I remember hearing a song that sounded like just it just sounded like like you, you melancholy is like I never really knew what that word meant and then I heard that song and it's like oh it sounds like that, but then also come to find out that like that song is written and right before his death like right before his murder and mm-hmm. he like, plays it for Lou Rawls. Lou Rawls at the time is like, has done a fair amount of backup on Sam Cooke records. He's back on, um, it doesn't matter. He's play he's staying on a bunch of, uh, Sam Cooke records and Lou Rawls tells him it sounds like death before he plays it for him before it's released. And then, you know, it comes out, I don't want to say posthumously, but like, it's just, it just has, it, it was a moment as a kid where I was like, Cause I was maybe 13 or whatever, but and like hadn't really thought about music that way. And then just sort of had this viscerally emotional reaction to hearing this song that it just kind of like, it just imprinted on me, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's, not, no funny. it's a not a funny thing to say, but just a beautiful fucking song. And then yeah. James Taylor covered it on the West Wing and I've never been angrier in my fucking life. Like, <laughs> but- your, no, James, you don't have it. This is not for you. I'm sorry. Your, people may love your music. I don't know your music, but this song, and also on the West Wing, like it's just everything about that made me mad.
0: Oh, not a good choice. I The original's amazing. The, the um, It does not need to be changed in any way, shape or form. And you you nailed it with the word melancholy, which is a feeling that I think as a child, we don't fully understand because it's like, as a kid, your understanding of sad is I'm sad because. And Mm -hmm. you have a reason and it's a fixable thing. And melancholy is a deepness. Um, But I think Mm -hmm. it's really great too, the way he beautifully alludes to just the general state of systemic racism that's going on Mm -hmm. and things. And like, a change will come, but things are so much bigger than me. I don't know if I'll ever see that change is what I I feel when I read this.
1: 100%, that's absolutely that like now knowing that. So at the time did not get that like I'm, you know, thirteen. That went way over my head. This was just like mm-hmm. a man singing this beautiful song about his personal sadness, um, and like hearing them talk about his murder. And like there's the lines of like, I go to the movies and I go downtown. You know, yes, they tell me lame. don't hang around, and he goes downtown in this murder to the seedy hotel. Like there's these, moments, I don't know, like hearing these like them talk about the song. Um, never really got the bigger implications until later. Until I was more, you know. I learned history and things. And then you hear the song again and you get this whole other level of appreciation for it. Just to, yeah, just, you know, art works on multiple levels, depending often on where the listener or viewer is at the time. And that was yeah. a, a very interesting sort of, I, I this is the one of the pieces of art that taught me that.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a mm. brilliant song. And I mean, you know, downtown can be literal in the sense of how he died or in the sense mm. of like, down in the south of the country sundown towns mm-hmm. going sure. there like you know just navigating the 60s as a performer as a black man making music that's loved by all but not being loved and that is absolutely man uh sam sam cook an amazing man a great song a great song. this has been uh i love asking comedians this question because y'all just pick shit that goes no way together. Like this is not gonna be a bumpin' <laughs> playlist. <laughs>
1: like, not... No, no, you can't put this on. This is you don't put this on at the party. You didn't ask me to make a, a list of my favorite bangers. That wasn't the that wasn't the homework.
0: That was not the assignment. It was who yeah. tells us who you are. And yeah. to have the life experiences that make you funny, you've gotta have uh an appreciation for the sad and the bad and the good. And the, these are all great. These mm-hmm. are fantastic. So let's see, how many were
1: with the number four? So one more. Got one more, right? Um, -hmm. Unyielding Conditioning by Fishbone now. What? (laughs) Yeah. So Fishbone is a black ska slash punk rock band, um, been around, was around for a very long time. I'm sure there's some incarnation of them still playing music somewhere, obviously with different members and whatever, but they, you know, they formed in like, I want to say 79 or 80. Like they've been around a very, very long time, but I picked this song because again, another moment in time moment. I moved to Austin uh, from New York in December of 2008. So it's been 12 years or whatever now, going on 13, but- um,
0: Okay, is, can you, is it
1: fish boat? Fishbone B-O-N-E.
0: Okay. I'm looking up fish boat and I found out about this <laughs> French band that was fleeing I quarantine via fish
1: boats. <laughs> I don't know fish boat. I've never heard of them. I'm going to have to They're check it out. <laughs> They're not real. I get you.
0: Fishbone looks um, cool as hell. Tell me bone. more.
1: Fishbone. I moved to Austin in December of 2008 and I always loved, I, I knew fishbone, um, I grew up, like I said, around a lot of white kids and got into uh, sort of punk rock music and the you know sort of more uh, alternative scenes. But like, there's not a lot of black representation in those scenes often. Uh, you know, you've got Bad Brains is an iconic black punk rock band. And there's obviously more now and uh, there were even more then they're just not as popular. But Fishbone had like a, some mild crossover success. So I definitely knew that band. But I moved here in December of 2008 Uh, It was the middle of winter, obviously. I left Austin. I left New York. There had been a massive blizzard. There was like two feet of snow on the ground when I left New York. And uh, moved to Austin that night. The night I moved into town, Fishbone is playing at the old Emo's uh and my friends call me oh hey i'm moving i'm like getting into town they're like oh hey we're going to fishbowl and i was like yeah we drop off my shit i'm for sure gonna go see fishbowl uh tickets were like 10 or 15 bucks or whatever uh and then it snowed that night which is like unheard of for texas i mean less so now obviously we had a freeze but like at the time I, my friends who I knew who lived here were like calling me on my cell phone and being like, are you here? Are you seeing this? This is crazy. It's snowing. And I was like, I just left the Uh, actual blizzard so this is not as impressive to me i didn't really get to the impact of that snow but just had this moment of like i moved to austin here's this band i love i've never seen live before because i lived in a small town upstate if you wanted to go somewhere you had to go a couple hours in one direction or the other to see any real like cool bands or whatever um and the night i moved to austin they're playing for like ten dollars uh a very short distance from where i lived and my friends are all going and we get there and, like know the bartenders and shit and i it was a moment of like okay austin's gonna maybe be pretty cool it was that moment of uh of like having it, again it's just like a, a moment in time but that night has stuck with me for like you're moving to a new town i'm moving to texas i'm fucking texas is fucking just a scary place to think about uh, mm-hmm. But then I get here and I'm like, okay, yeah, this might work. You know what I'm saying? I can't. It's so
0: funny because I'm so spoiled. Like I can't imagine thinking of Texas as a scary place because I just like was born there. And then I am just sure. imagining like you think like everyone's got a gun, a horse can trample mm-hmm. you at any
1: moment. Like I'm just imagining like when, I like- was less scared of the horses and more of the racism. But <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, you you know you hear about Texas. It's not necessarily uh, talked about in the most welcoming tones. Um, I, my understanding before, of New York—I thought yeah. all
0: of New York State was SVU. I thought the second you sure. got off the subway, you were stabbed and put behind a dumpster. Like, I-
1: absolutely, <laughs> it's that nobody, people are—it's very easy to just think of like whatever media represents a place as. You know what I mean? And New York is very much that, even though most of the state is like farmland. Everybody just assumes <laughs> New York City and Texas. I don't know, I know Texas from fucking movies and even at the time i don't know that there was much you know we're talking pre friday night lights or whatever there's not a ton of like tv shows that just dallas but i didn't fucking watch dallas so like i don't know shit about texas i know uh, oil and racism that's my only two things i could think of when I thought of texas so i'm scared but then i get here and it's like oh this is a major city with like cool people and like whatever Yeah, it was kind of funny. The
0: the states that get notorious reputations for being racist are sometimes the ones that are the most diverse. So people Mm -hmm. are like, oh, Oh, man, like Texas is full of black and Hispanic and Asian and all kinds of other people. Like to me, the most racist places I've been, have been like Iowa and stuff where people are like, oh, it's a super nice Midwest. And I'm like, um, I was followed in a Walmart. (laughs) <laughs>
1: like, yeah yeah no a hundred percent but it takes getting to those places to learn that you know what i mean yes i moved to mm-hmm. Austin, having only been to like whatever four states around new york like i had never really been anywhere until i moved to austin uh and having moved to austin and then doing comedy and then getting to travel and see the country you go oh no boston is way more racist than texas like Boston's <laughs> one of the most racist places i've ever been in my life or, Boston uh, is the that, only- yeah, like you said, mm-hmm. no, good, good. Like, I saying? was gonna say, Iowa, Boston like the is the Midwest only place,
0: too. yeah. Boston is the only place that someone has yelled a racial slur at me, and it was the wrong one. So, that always
1: <laughs> <laughs> like they picked the wrong race, they called me a
0: dirty Mexican, and I said, Who are you talking to?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, Nick Mullen used to have a great joke about. Boston and that the only only word that ends in R that those people can pronounce is the N-word because it is just the most racist city in ever existed. Shout out to Nick Mola. yad nigger. Mm-hmm.
0: God, make- yeah,
1: yeah. They get that R hard. They get hard. They get that R, no problem. Yeah.
0: By the way, y'all, I'm fully black, just so y'all know. Just so you like, you're like, mm-hmm. what? No, I'm just I just yeah, I had yeah. to hear how much it doesn't make sense. Like mm-hmm oh my god hilarious okay wow so the fishbone fishbone song that one in particular um, the other condition is a great
1: yeah i remember hearing it live there and it's but it is also a great song it is um definitely like a ska track but it's real horn heavy um it's uh it's like i don't want to say it's anthemic but it builds really well like it like Mm -hmm. uh it does it like it 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 shows the power of his voice. He's got a very strong voice as well, so that works. Uh, Just a great song um, from a great band.
0: I love that. I just want to tell you one more time, if you like a good horn-heavy, anthemic, makes you feel charged up song, Nas's Industry Baby. I'm just going (laughs) to recommend
1: it. I'll Hit give it up. a listen. I promise you, I will give it a listen.
0: <laughs> Next time you're in the car, just like you, the, mm-hmm. the horns will just bring you in. Okay, I'm dropping okay. it. You put me on some new music, songs I'd never heard from one art and then one of like an artist I'd never heard of. So I'm so excited. This is gonna be a fantastic, uh, though nonsensical playlist to listen to. I'm very yeah. excited about it. That's for sure. <laughs> So that's going to wrap up the playlist of your life. We have one more little segment and then I'll let you go for the day. Uh, This is fun. So we call this our kind of uh, our listener letters. It's where people call in and ask us questions. And this one comes to us anonymously, but it's a fun question. It's not an advice question. It's more of a you question. What is a song that morally you don't agree with, but it is a banger? What is a mo- song that you morally don't agree with? Maybe the lyrics are wrong. Maybe it's by an artist. You're like, oh, I can't support this person anymore and get conscious. Oh, but wait, it's still... There's a lot of
1: votes. I mean, oh. unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately okay. R. Kelly has made the fucking hits. But like, oh, that is an interesting question. Because like, I'm gonna, I think that's an easier please. angle. The angle of like, oh, you can't listen to this person's music anymore because they're bad. Um, Yeah, you know, obviously R Kelly comes to mind. He's made bangers. Michael Jackson comes to mind. uh, Because I know we were supposed to have forgotten that he fucked a bunch of kids or whatever, but like still sticks in my head when I hear those songs. But I'm curious, I'm trying to think of a song.
0: I'll give you some time to think on that and I'm gonna share mine. So my favorite song that I am morally opposed to comes from an artist who I wouldn't consider like a moral problem. She's one of my favorite artists of all time. I'm talking about Betty Wright. Betty Wright is a fantastic songwriter. She's got some great soul songs. Tonight is the Night, uh, you know, um, A Cleanup Woman, all those great songs. But one thing, I, I love me some Betty Wright, but Betty was a pick me. She was the type of woman who would get walked all over in a relationship and do anything to keep a man. And it's no more evident than on After the Pain. After the Pain is one of her most popular songs. And she just talks about how sometimes men gotta cheat and you gotta let them. Because after they're done cheating, things get real nice. It's just so great. After they stop cheating on you, how nice things are. Isn't it? Well.
1: That's I said, I would never and take actually... him back
0: again, <laughs> but it's a woman's prerogative to change her mind. Isn't it? Well, we do it all the time. Don't laugh. You've probably done the same thing too. She was the queen of the talking part in a song. So I'm definitely doing yeah, a solid. Yeah, instinct. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, like, that actually you... is very funny because it makes me think of the male, almost version of that song. Isaac Hayes off of hot buttered soul, so an album I brought up earlier has a song called one woman. and the song the whole point is he's we're supposed to feel bad for isaac hayes but the chorus is one woman's making my home while another woman's making me do wrong uh and now i have to decide where i belong and it's all about this poor man who's stuck cheating on his wife and (laughs) oh the pressure of having to decide which woman i should continue yeah just uh, that's, your, it felt like the male version of that song. So I'm gonna go with One Woman by Isaac Hayes. Cause yeah, ben don't cheat on your tough. wife.
0: <laughs> I, I, and I then don't write a funny... song
1: about while you're the victim in the situation, which is real shitty.
0: It never goes away. I feel like that comes back every ten years. There is a full on banger that makes it seem like cheating is just an unavoidable thing. Like like that Carl Thomas, yeah. When you love someone, you just don't mm-hmm. treat them bad. Like just fuck boy bangers, man. Isaac Hayes mm. might be the best. <laughs> that's blueprint. gotta
1: be a that's gotta be a Spotify <laughs> playlist for sure, right? Fuckboy boy bangers fuck boy has bangers. gotta be out there. <laughs>
0: These are great, man. Thank you, Chris, so much for hanging out with me today, getting me on some new music from artists I hadn't even heard of. Okay, we're loving it. Where can people find more of you and listen to you and follow you on all the socials?
1: I am at Chris Cubis on all social media. And again, my podcast, Bad Advice with Chris Cubis, comes out every Friday. Uh, We answer advice column letters poorly. It's a super fun, loose little conversation with me and a couple of comics. Uh, So definitely give that a listen and I'll be back in clubs once uh, people get fucking vaccinated and we get this goddamn delta variant under control. So uh, if you want to see me do comedy, find a club that they're like, uh, you got to show a vax card or something. I might have to go to a state that believes in science in order to do comedy again.
0: (laughs) God, God help us all. Um, Y'all stay safe, get vaccinated, and check out Bad Advice podcast. And uh, if you're enjoying this podcast, the Rhythm and Bay podcast, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Rhythm and Bay. That's B-A-E, like the term of endearment. And then find me on Twitter at Bay Rhythm and they still won't let me fix it. Um, I'm trying so hard. You guys have been amazing. Thanks for listening. And uh, as always, I'm your host, Jasmine Ellis. Keep it smooth.